Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So here at Plymouth Meeting Church, if you've been following our, our teaching ministries, the last two weeks we've checked out the topics of godly contentment and gratitude, thanksgiving. And so we, we typically, uh, for most of us, we approach these topics I guess the standard operating procedure is like, quote, like a normal day. But what happens when, when the air just gets sucked out of our lungs, like those types of days? Last week, I mentioned headwinds and, and tailwinds. Tailwinds are, are the, the blessings and benefits that, that move us along in life. Headwinds are, are like what we fly into. Well, like what happens when we fly into a, a tornado? A hurricane, right? Like, 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 you think it's blue sky, and then it's actually just a, a, a blue-colored brick wall you fly into, and there's just absolutely nothing you can say. There's just nothing you can do. You really find out there is a dark side to the moon. There are days we fall into trouble, pain, heartbreak, confusion. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's anger, fear. Personally, one thing that I find frustrating, and I can speak to this because I experienced it over the last uh, seven days, uh, I had a moment. Um, it's, it's where I have self-awareness that something is wrong, something is discombobulated. I recognize this is a great opportunity to, to communicate and lead well. Like, I've, I've, I've grown in my 35 years on this planet. Like, I have tools to process. I, I, can, I can communicate but guess what? All of my tools just don't seem to work. I can't really communicate. I just freeze up, and it's really frustrating. And I'm sorry, Jess, for not <laughs> being able to communicate well the other day. <laughs> the Bible, uh, especially the psalmists, they, they, they teach us um, this practice of lament. Our faith gives us space to cry out to God, to, to just sigh and groan and grieve and mourn and let me tell you fake it till you make it like i don't want to hear that in our church family that's not the gospel fake it to your fake it till you make it just we're working the opposite way if that's where we're living you know the gospel in fact lets us know that it's okay not to be okay the last number of weeks were were, were kind of heavy and, and thick for me between the ongoing, grueling nature of working on a dissertation and, you know, that schoolwork, but I, I, I do stuff for the denomination. I've had projects and, and training events that I've had to put on. Uh, I won't get into detail, but, like, I'm doing stuff for the de- denomination. There's Plymouth Meeting Church stuff. The workload was pretty stacked. And then just to kind of relate, you know, it's not all about money, but money has some value, Okay, um, about a month ago or so, um, we had about $1,000 left to pay off our car. And I, we had the means to do it. I was like, hey, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's pay off this car. So it was about $1,000 and we paid it off. But guess what? Right around the same time, our car breaks. And that ended up being a $1,000 bill, okay? And then also right around this time period, we lost our dog. And that end-of-life vet bill ended up being, guess what, about $1,000, okay? So, like, yeah, like, like 3K right out, the, right out the wallet, right? 
It's not all about money, of course, but also globally the war in Israel began. That's a stressor. Okay, what like mm. Phillies were in the playoffs. I've always been a Phillies fan. Okay, Jeff and I got to go to a playoff game. Just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Just such a big blessing. It was the best baseball game I've ever been to. Okay, I got to see my Phillies in the playoffs. They beat the Braves. But then they lose all of their steam, and they lose to the Diamondbacks. And so it's like, that's a roller coaster dump right there. October, I have a birthday in October, so that's cool. Um, but then here in Plymouth Meeting Church World, like, we have some organizational stuff going on that we need to figure out. We've had some steam leaks and some boilers. You know, it's like it, on and on and on. I could go on, right? Perhaps a lot of this is like first world issues, as we would say. But yeah. It just has felt thick. The last season I've been in, it just, it's just felt thick. And you just... It's like when you feel bloated, right? You're just like, oh. Like, like you don't... Like, you just got to make a noise to go with it, right? But this is what keeps me going, church. You ready for it? The gospel is bigger than all of my stuff. Jesus doesn't show me around stuff. Jesus shows me through it. My faith informs my functionality. And I'm not saying I walk through this. There's definitely a limp, sometimes a crawl. It's not pretty some days. And I also know that I'm not alone. Because I know you all have stuff. We all have stuff. In American evangelical history, Horatio and Anna Spafford, they experienced some stuff as well. Last Wednesday, just a couple days ago, was the 150th anniversary of the event that inspired the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. In the 1870s, Horatio and Anna Spafford, they lived in Chicago. They had four daughters, youngest to oldest. You have Tanetta, about 18 months old, Bessie, age four, Maggie, age seven, and Annie, age 12. Horatio was a successful attorney. He also had multiple investments in northern Chicago, and they were Presbyterian, faithful church members. Horatio was an elder at his Presbyterian church. He was also good friends of D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, if you've heard of him, a rather well-known evangelist. He supported Mr. Moody. They had a nice home. It's kind of like the 1870s version of a Hallmark movie, if you think about it. But then, if you know your history, what happens in 1871 in Chicago? Things get a little smoky, right? We have the Chicago fire, this massive fire. It killed about, a, about 300 people, destroyed over three square miles of city, I believe, Roughly Plymouth Meeting, the modern boundaries of Plymouth Meeting could fit inside of that, that fire hole in Chicago. It left about 100,000 people homeless. And you know what? It destroyed the Spafford's investments, their, their real estate investments. It, it was a big hit. It was a big hit, but you know what? Life goes on. Horatio, two years later... He decided he wanted to take his family on vacation. His good friend, Mr. Moody, 
Dwight Moody was over in, in Britain, I believe, over in Europe, doing presentations, e- evangelistic messages, and it's like, okay, we're going to meet up with with D.L. Moody, but let's go over to Europe, let's have a good vacation time over there. It's November, but right before they're supposed to travel, work comes up, all right? It's such an American story, and guess what? It's like, ah, there's work. More work to do. Something about zoning issues. I guess he had some new projects he was working on. And it was very important for him to, to stay back. So that's, that's what he does. He sends his family, his wife and four daughters, he sends them on a steamship, the SS Vilduharve. And Horatio is going to catch up later. He'll take the next boat. So one week into the crossing, about halfway across the Atlantic, at 2 a.m., the, the ship that they were on, it was actually struck by an English vessel. Now, humans have been navigating oceans and stuff for a long time. I don't know how this happened. You have this really big ocean called the Atlantic Ocean, and somehow two ships run into each other. I don't know how that happened, but it did. It was the Loch Urn, another English vessel. I can only imagine the chaos, uh, probably asleep at 2 a.m., but you wake up to a loud, crunching, chaotic noise of your boat slamming into another boat. In about 12 minutes, the ship sank. It's pretty fast. 226 people drowned, including the four daughters. Anna Spafford was one who, she was one of the survivors. She was rescued. She would go on to make it to Wales. She sent a a telegram, which began with two words, saved alone. So she's waiting in Wales for her her husband Horatio. And the story is, when, when Horatio crossed the Atlantic, when he was... Uh, in the, the approximate place where the accident, the incident happened, where his daughters had drowned, that experience passing over the watery grave, that's what inspired him to write the song, the poem, It Is Well With My Soul. One source said it was a couple of years later in 1876, that's when he actually wrote the words based on the experience And it begins like this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, kind of taking like a non-religious outsider's perspective here, you know, some might say that Horatio Spafford's religious convictions, they were just a crutch. (coughs) Spafford wasn't really grounded in reality. His religion was like a morphine. Maybe somebody would say that. You know, it's just like a, religion is just like a, a morphine to his suffering. Like, how in the world could somebody write something like that? Perhaps Karl Marx was right. Religion is the opium of the people. Religions for poor people, poor souls, that kind of thing. But you know what? Horatio Spafford is not alone in his expressions here. 
about 2,000 years before this, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to his friends in Philippi. And in his own words, he was saying it, it, it was well with his soul, even in prison. Philippians is a prison letter. One of Paul's points was that being super religious, that doesn't protect you from, from hard times. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul reveals that he is this superstar Jew. He lived this devout life. I mean, he was like top of his class in the religious studies. Like he just absolutely nailed this whole Pharisee thing down. But then Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 7, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All the religious accomplishments that he took credit for, he regards them as nothing compared to knowing and experiencing Christ and his life. It's like kind of saying, like, look at all the people I've discipled, or like the people I've led to Christ, the, the evangelism, uh, the, the awesome worship gatherings that we put on, and the church events. Look at all my sermons and the letters, and guess what? I've published theology books, and I've planted churches, and I've launched organizations, and, and sent people on, on mission trips. Look at my schools and hospitals that I've built. Look how good my attendance is with Bible study and all these acts of kindness, you know. All that stuff can be forsaken. It can be regarded as nothing compared to knowing Christ. You see, knowing Jesus is about letting go of your past, your talent, your treasures, everything that makes you who you are. You're willing to take this, quote, accomplishment that is called you, and you can just take it out back and throw it in the burn barrel, okay? Consider it rubbish. Consider it dung, some translations say. Garbage, where things go to rot, okay? It's not that you have apathy for yourself, but it's that you love Christ, and you love the Christ identity in you, that you love knowing Jesus. And this is the paradox of the gospel, that when you give up you gain everything. When you give yourself away, you find Christ. It will take too long to explain, but uh, as I kind of alluded to, I, I, I work for the, the denomination. I've created something in our denomination with the help of others. I planned it out. It got executed. And we accomplished what we needed to do. And I'm really thrilled about it. And I'm really proud of myself for this program, this initiative that I led, okay? But I want you to know that when I hold up my achievements to Jesus, in the expression of Paul, it, it kind of looks like hot garbage. You know, there, there's space for celebration. Obviously, we want to be successful, but here's the thing. The gospel takes us deeper. It's not, it's not about success or failure. It's about doing life with Jesus. And so whether you have peace like a river or see billows of sorrow, the gospel meets you where you're at and it says that Emmanuel is with you. Jesus is with you. The gospel says you don't need to cling to your own righteousness and all the things that make you look good. In fact, the gospel frees you from the confines of your own rules and regulations. The gospel invites you to completely rely on Jesus. You rely on his righteousness. The gospel invites you to immerse yourself into Christ. 
Okay? It's what baptism is symbolizing. We immerse ourselves into this brand new identity in such a way that when God asks you about your righteousness, you just point to Jesus and you say, it's all about him. Jesus fulfilled what he needed to fulfill, and now the way is open, and righteousness is available to all who believe. I belong to his story. I belong to his life. Okay, It's not about my righteousness. It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so the gospel frees us from our own triumphs. The gospel frees us from being uh, sunk by our own sorrows. And this is what faith is. Whether it's triumph or tragedy, you're basing your right standing with God completely on the faithfulness of Jesus. It's like that game, The Floor is Lava. Anybody ever play that? Okay. The Floor is Lava, except Jesus is the only one who can walk on the lava. And in faith, we, we throw ourselves onto Jesus. And like piggyback style, he's going to carry us safely across the lava. The gospel invites us not only to cling to Jesus... But, but to get to know him too. It's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's personal knowledge. Let's get to know the one who carries us from death into life. Who carries us across the lava. And the way that we get to know Jesus is to follow him. And so this is our challenge this morning. One of them at least. Is Jesus... The example that you are following. This is, in other words, discipleship, what we're talking about. Are you following Jesus, the crucified one, the risen one? Is he the one you're seeking out to mimic in all areas of life? Here's the thing. When, when we get sloppy in our following... Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. At least two things happen. Our empowerment goes down. That makes us feel weak. We don't like feeling weak, and so we look to comfort ourselves. And so what we do is we try to build up our little cozy bubble around us. Meanwhile, to walk with Jesus is to walk deeply in the Jesus way of death and life, suffering and resurrection. To know Christ is to have fellowship in his suffering, Paul says. We don't like suffering. We don't like pain. Of course we don't. But if you want to know Jesus, Paul says to know Christ is to have fellowship in his suffering. We don't know why God allows suffering, but we do know that we have a God who does suffer. And that's what we find on Good Friday. The cross shows us that God is not absent when dealing with sin and pain. God doesn't forsake, but he embraces. He doesn't throw away, but he restores. At the cross, we find the king. We also find the suffering servant. Christ suffers with us. Christ suffers for us. At the cross, we, we find this unity between Christ, us and Christ, and us and one another. 
And there's this transformative side to pain as, as well. When we go through hard times together, there's a communion. There's a special bond. There's a, there's a fellowship that is formed. And dear disciple, we are Christ, excuse me, we are cross-shaped people. It's where our old nature needs to die so that our new nature can be born. Which leads us to Paul's second point. To know Christ is also to know the power of his resurrection. In terms of resurrection, when the disciples met resurrected Jesus, everything changed. Okay, Jesus is the death, conquer, death conqueror. Now what? What do we do with Jesus? Okay, this end times event actually happened in the first century. Now what? Everything has changed. Easter has given us a glimpse of what happens at the end of history. The meaning of the whole plan is now made known when we meet resurrected Jesus. It's so cool. The mystery has been revealed. All things in heaven and earth are coming together in the Messiah. That's Ephesians 1.10. Everything is being summed up in Jesus. Jesus is healing heaven and earth. And it's amazing. This is our hope. Let's get to know resurrection power. We want to know the power of his resurrection. To misunderstand resurrection and to go through all the sufferings that we go through... That sounds pathetic and idiotic. It sounds hopeless. Let me say that again. To misunderstand resurrection and to go through the present sufferings. It sounds like a bad, a bad deal. But resurrection means new life. Resurrection means new creation. It's the power that brings redemption. And so the gospel, it empowers you to go through both, the gospel empowers you through both resurrection power and through co-suffering. You can't know Jesus well without these two. Resurrection power or fellowshipping and suffering. The discipleship lifestyle of repentance and belief, it involves Resurrection power with the king. And it involves fellowshipping with the suffering servant. And this makes sense because turning from sin to Jesus can be a painful process. Turning from idols to Jesus can be a painful process. We crucify the old nature. I kind of, uh, I was thinking about it this morning. This isn't in my notes, but it's like a timeline. You know, we go back in time, and this, this is like, you know, like somehow we are crucified with Christ. It's like our old nature. We are crucified with Christ. And today, we need to continue to turn over. That's that word conversion, this convertive experience. We are continuing to, yes, I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But also, someday in the future... There's resurrection and there's glory. If I want to share in his glory, I also share in his sufferings. Disciples of Jesus do not avoid suffering and sorrow. But we are shaped by it and through it. The, the cross is not something to be climbed. 
It's a place where things die. But on the other side is new life. It's resurrection. Brand new life emerges. So that's why on the cross, in the midst of pain, we go to the cross and we say, Jesus, something's not right. There's this chasm, there's this schism, there's alienation, something's just not right. And Jesus whispers to us, that's why I'm here. I'm bringing all things together. I'm I'm healing all things. I'm going to make all things new. So at the cross, Jesus says, it's going to be okay. And therefore, when we get to the empty tomb, Jesus also whispers to us. He says, in light of that, because I make all things new, it's okay not to be okay. Because it's going to be okay. Behold, I will make all things new. And so we can say things like, it is well with my soul. When we lose loved ones. When there's painful divorces and miscarriages. And wars and rumors of war and chaos and this and that. Life is hard. God knows that, but we can say things like, it is well with my soul because we are people of the cross. We're people of the empty tomb. And we're not saved alone. We don't fake it until we make it. We believe in a God that raises the dead. We believe that Jesus can calm the wind and the waves. That when we pass through the waters, Jesus will be with us. When we pass Through the rivers, they won't sweep over us. When we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. The flames will not set us ablaze. We believe in a God who is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters will roar and foam and the mountains will quake, With their surging, there is a God who says, be still and know that I am God. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? I invite you now. I invite you into the peace of Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, you have overcome the world. I do not want to be troubled or afraid. I ask for your peace in my life today. Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I pray for peace. In your name, amen.